Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, inviting you once again into a conversation about practical issues related to ministry leadership. We're into 2021, a new year, but it carries with it some of the persistent problems that we have to deal with as ministry leaders are the persistent challenges of the role that we've been given. One of those persistent challenges is personnel management in ministry organizations or personnel administration by ministry leaders. I know this is a persistent problem because of at least a couple of reasons. One, the number of phone calls and emails I get from people asking me for help on this subject. And second, uh, the input that I get from Doctor of Ministry students. I help teach in that program, and one of the things we require are written reports of what's happening in actual ministry settings. We call them Ministry Action Contacts, or MACs. And I frequently read those, and a common theme throughout those MACs is personnel uh, challenges, particularly supervisory challenges as people in ministry leadership work with employees. So this is a persistent problem, an ongoing problem, and a challenge that we all have to meet. And that's why I decided to start this year with these two podcasts, last week, part one, this week, part two, on personnel management for ministry leaders. Now, last week, I said that I was going to take a principled approach, meaning there's no way that I can go into the individual laws and situations in every state or country where this podcast is broadcast. Instead, I want to talk about principles, overarching themes that we need to be aware of and put into practice so that we can improve the personnel administration or the personnel management in our organizations. Uh, Last week, I talked about the first three of six principles. The first one was relationships are defined by a primary role, and our relationships in ministry organizations when the role includes supervisor to employee means that that is the priority definition of our role. Uh, We're more, uh, more supervisor than we are fellow church member or pastor or even friend. Uh, I talked about the importance of defining roles and why that's essential in last week's podcast. And then second, uh, last week I said ministry supervision is hard work, and it's hard work because it takes time and requires structure and a commitment to process. And these things are sometimes difficult for ministry leaders because of our personalities and our focus on relationships and, frankly, sometimes some bad theology. Then third, I said last week that ministry organizations need Uh, written personnel or supervisory policies. And in this context, I talked about the importance of written job descriptions and work expectations and and personnel policies, not a 100-page document or a manual that covers every eventuality that could ever happen in the history of the world, but instead uh, perhaps a several-page document uh, that has a few pages explaining these key things that define work relationships. Now let's move on to three more principles Uh, growing out of those first three that will help us with personnel management in ministry organizations. Number four, the fourth principle is ministry organizations need clear and healthy feedback mechanisms for employees. Clear and healthy feedback mechanisms. In other words, how do employees get information from you as a supervisor about the kind of work they're doing, the level of performance they're achieving, Uh, the accomplishments that need to be recognized, and perhaps some corrections that need to be given. Regular feedback. How do you accomplish that? Well, let me give you some suggestions. First of all, uh, we should practice what I call close supervision of new employees, giving them immediate and frequent feedback. 
Now, this is exactly the opposite of what often happens in ministry organizations. A new person comes on board as the worship pastor or the youth pastor or the administrative assistant, and we say, look, here's your job. Go do it. Let me know how it turns out. And then when they go out and do that, uh, the first thing that happens is they get negative feedback from us when they're not doing what we want three to six months later. They're demoralized. You told me to go and do my best, and I've done that, and now you're calling me back because I didn't do what you wanted? Where's the feedback been over these past six months to help me correct along the way? Why did we get to this crisis moment? Because there was no regular feedback. So I advocate particularly for new employees what I call close supervision. Let me give you an example of what I mean from how we do things here at Gateway. When I employ a new vice president at Gateway, that person reports directly to me, and I'm their immediate supervisor. Now, vice presidents are highly competent people, and so you might think, well, you get a new VP. Man, that's a sigh of relief for you, Jeff, because you can just relax now. That area's got a new leader, and everything's going to be fine. Well, that is exactly the opposite of what we do. Instead, when I get a new vice president, I give them close supervision for the first year. And here's what we do. For the first three months, they meet with me every week for a job review. Yes, a vice president meets with me every week for the first three months for a job review. We talk about what they're doing, why they're doing it, what they're learning, the problems they're surfacing, and any corrections I have for them, and... Even more importantly, affirmations I have for them as I see them developing in their new role. We meet once a week for the first three months. Now, we normally do this over lunch, and I tell the vice president, just bring your list. Whatever you want to talk about, let's talk about it, because I want you to get off to the best start possible in your new position. And then I'll bring a list, too. And any observations I have or corrections I want to offer or questions I want to raise or affirmations I want to give, I'll also make sure those get communicated during that lunchtime. So we do that every week for the first three months. And then for the next three months, we meet once a month and we do the same thing. You bring your list, I'll bring mine, and we'll talk through uh, issues we see, questions we have, corrections that need to be given, affirmations that need to be handed out. And then for the next six months, we just meet once a quarter, meaning first three months every week, second three months once a month, and then in the next six months really once every quarter. So that at the end of the year, we have started with intense close supervision and relaxed that over time to then we fall into this annual review pattern that we then continue with vice presidents and really all employees at Gateway. So... This kind of close supervision up front gives me the opportunity for healthy feedback with the people I'm supervising. And especially early in the relationship, it gives me the opportunity to answer their questions, shape their direction, give them corrections, and also give them affirmation to make sure that we're getting off to the best start possible. The exact wrong approach is to say, well, there's your job, and there's your people, and there's your assignment. Uh, go get with it and then leave them alone for three to six months to, quote, see how they do. Well, I'll tell you how they're going to do. They're going to do exactly what they think is best in every given moment, and that may or may not be what you wanted as a supervisor or what the organization needs. Look, organizational communication is tough. 
It is so hard to communicate what we want, when we want it, how we want it, and to make sure that that message gets delivered. And so if you think you're going to do that one time and then not go back with a new employee for three to six months and do it again, you are sadly mistaken and over-expecting in the context of communication and organizational behavior. Instead, you'd be far wiser to practice close supervision up front and to give healthy feedback and repeated feedback in the early weeks and months of a person's employment to get them off to the best start possible. Now, this regular feedback, uh, healthy feedback, not only starts with close supervision, but it continues with regular feedback from supervisors in ongoing supervision. Now, I'm going to get to in just a moment the annual review process, but before we get to that, let's talk about what you do with employees that gives them regular or healthy feedback as a supervisor. This means that your employees hear from you from time to time, uh, offering them, uh, asking them questions about what they're doing and why, offering them corrections about things that you feel like they need to do differently going forward, and then giving them praise or affirmation for what you see them doing well. Now, I call this uh, keeping short accounts. And for example, when I recently hired a new administ- uh, executive assistant in the president's office, uh, I told her, look, uh, I'm going to work with you very closely for the first few weeks to make sure that you get off to the best start possible. But then after that, uh, I'll be bringing up things with you on a regular basis that ask questions about what you're doing or offer suggestions about improvements and giving you feedback positively about what I see you doing well. And I want us to keep short accounts. If you have things you want to bring up with me, don't wait until the end of the year at your annual review. Bring them up when they come up from time to time and let's talk about them along the way. Uh, I found that this kind of regular, healthy feedback from supervisors along the way or in the process of the work that we're doing is very, very important to employees to both keep them on track and keep them motivated because they know they're doing the right things that you want done in the organization. Now, this healthy feedback also includes what what is often called an annual review. Now, an annual review is a formal time when you sit down with an employee uh, at the end of every year and say, uh, let's review your accomplishments, set some goals for next year, let's negotiate changes that need to be made in your work performance or in your work relationship, and uh, let's talk about compensation going forward. And understand, this conversation flows both directions. So, for example, uh, once a year, I sit down with the vice presidents and my executive assistant, who are all my direct reports. I sit down with them individually, and I have this kind of annual review process. Now, uh, this requires time for me to prepare beforehand and for the other person to prepare beforehand as well. And what I do is I send them an email reminder and say, sometime in the next uh, month, you need to schedule your annual review with me. And before you come to that, you need to work through these questions Uh, What have you done last year that you're most proud of? What do you need to accomplish next year in terms of goals? What kind of, uh, what have you learned in your position this year that you want to talk with me about? And then finally, what do you need from me as your supervisor that will help you to do a better job going forward? And then lastly, I usually say something like, and do you have any other issues you want to raise? This would be a great time to do so. Uh, And so I have these kind of conversations with these people who work with me in a formal way once a year. Now, again, let's remember what that's built on. When they first came into their position, they had intensive supervision that first year. That relaxes as they move forward, but now they're getting healthy feedback from me on a continuing basis as I troubleshoot issues and problems with them, and more importantly, give them healthy feedback of affirmation along the way as well. 
but that once a year we sit down in a formal context. Uh, we sit down in my office across the table from one another. We have written documents in front of us where we've spelled out the answers to these key questions. I've prepared for the meeting. The other person has prepared for the meeting. And we have a frank and reasonable and measured conversation about these issues. We talk about these kinds of questions. Uh, what are your accomplishments last year? What did you fulfill? What are you proud of? Uh, and, they, and in a sense, I let the employee brag a bit on what they were able to get done over the last year. And most of the time, uh, they cover that list pretty thoroughly. But occasionally, I'll say, you know, there's another thing you didn't mention that I also observed. And I want to give you affirmation for that as well. I want to thank you for this part of your success last year. And then I'll ask, uh, what, what do you want to do next year? Uh, what are some goals that you're setting for yourself and for your department? And then I'll listen to those, and then I'll add to them. I'll say, here's some other things I think you should consider, and let's negotiate and talk about those together today. And we try to leave that meeting with a negotiated set of written goals. Here are three or four or five things for next year that I really want to focus on and that we've agreed really needs to be the focus of, uh, of your work going forward. And then I also ask, you know, what did you learn from your position this past year? And that really comes out of my uh, conviction that God is at work in our lives, not only to use us to accomplish tasks, but also to shape our character and to form us more into the image of Jesus. And so I say, you know, what did you learn last year through your job? And what did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about the organization? You know, how are you growing as a person and as a leader in our, in our uh, seminary? And then finally, you know, I say, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? And it's always amazing to me what comes up in that context, because there are always things that employees bring up uh, that I had not thought about, did not know was in their mind, uh, and that, that they wanted to say, hey, listen, this is an issue for me. Uh, let me give you some examples without going into detail, uh, just to give you an idea. Uh, for example, a person says to me, uh, I want to talk with you about my retirement and when I see that happening in a year or two or three and how I'd like to move toward that and what I think the organization needs to do to get ready for my leaving. Well, I certainly hadn't brought that up and was glad that it did get put on the table because it was an important issue. But again, I, I wasn't ready for it when it came uh, in the case that I'm talking about right now, but it needed to be discussed. And uh, it was one of those things I, I was trying to put off. I didn't want this employee to leave, but they said, you know, I really want to talk about this because I do see an ending in sight and I want to prepare for it well. Uh, another person came in one time and said, you know, I, I, I have a lot of opportunities here and I'm grateful for those, but one thing I don't ever, I've never gotten to do is serve on a board. And I wonder if you could help me to get put on a board of trustees somewhere so that I could learn what it's like to lead an organization from that side of the table. Well, I would have never thought of that. I was trying to help this vice president develop in his leadership skills, but it never dawned on me that he wanted to learn how to lead from the other side of the table. So we went to work on that as a project of how we could help him to do that. Another person came in, uh, a vice president, and said, uh, you know, there's an area that I really don't feel like I'm very strong in, and I'd like to ask the seminary to, to uh, give me some time to go get some professional uh, training in this area. There's a conference I'd like to attend. There's a, um, uh, a three-day event that uh, really focuses on continuing education in this particular area, and, and I'd like to do that. Well, I didn't even know that existed and didn't know this person felt like they needed it. But the more we talked about it, the more I realized here was an opportunity for the seminary not only to improve itself by improving this employee, but also to gain greater loyalty from an employee by showing him that we really are committed to your success. And it was a small, really, amount of money to invest in this person's long-term success and effectiveness. And so, again, these are the kinds of things that come up in an annual review. When you ask a person, is there anything else you want to talk about, uh, they can bring up these kinds of issues. Then another thing to talk about in annual reviews, compensation. 
you know, everyone uh, wants to be compensated fairly, and they want to have an opportunity to have a dialogue about that. And as a supervisor, you need to also be able to say, this is all the money we have, or this is all we can do this year, or this is what we feel like is fair going forward, or I'm administrating your compensation in the context of an entire organization, and so I want you to know that while I do value what you've done, I have to put that in the context of what other people are doing as well, and this is what we're going to do for you next year. Uh, it gives you the opportunity to have a frank uh, and uh, objective conversation with another person about compensation. So, ministry organizations need healthy feedback mechanisms. And those healthy feedback mechanisms include at least some of these examples. Close supervision of new employees to help them get off to the best start possible. Regular feedback, what I call keeping short accounts, having ongoing conversations with the people you supervise so that you both correct them, but also celebrate them and help them know the good job they're doing. And then an annual review, which is a very formal process where a person, uh, where an employee and a supervisor both prepare uh, answers to questions that will facilitate the continued employment in a healthy way of the, of the employee. And you have that dialogue. Now at Gateway, we also use a, a, a form uh, that has like 10 categories on it. And we rate the people, you know, on a one to five scale and that kind of thing. Those forms can be very helpful because they provide some continuity across the organization, and that's why we use them. But even though we use a standardized form for these annual reviews, we also ask some individualized questions. Uh, what, are you, what did you accomplish last year? What are your goals for next year? What are you learning from your job? What else do you want to put on the table for conversation or discussion today? These kinds of questions are also part of what we try to do with people who work with us here at the seminary. So, ministry organizations need healthy feedback mechanisms. Number five, Ministry supervision focuses on organizational health more than conflict avoidance. Now, the reason that pastors and others call me about personnel administration issues and the reason that MACs in our DMIN program get written about these issues is because they often involve conflict. And leaders are often, contact, often contacting me uh, with the goal of trying to find a way to avoid the conflict in the situation. Well, some conflict is inevitable in supervisory relationships. Now, I said some conflict. Healthy organizations tend to have minimal conflict in these areas, but some conflict is inevitable. It's inevitable because we're fallen people. Both supervisors and employees struggle with that old sinful nature that's a part of who we are. And so it's inevitable that there's going to be communication breakdowns, relational struggles, behavioral issues. So some conflict should be expected in ministry supervision. But <clears throat> ministry supervision must always prioritize organizational health, not conflict avoidance. This means that short-term pain is often needed to assure long-term success. Now, what kind of short-term pain do I mean? Well, I mean the short-term pain of having to terminate someone, for example. When you do that, there's always negative fallout. People, uh, feel, people feel a sense of loss of the relationship of the person who's departed. Uh, they feel a burden that comes on them to having to pick up the slack from the person who's left and doing their, their job maybe added on for a while until they get replaced. 
there's also sometimes short-term pain financially as you, if you have to pay out a severance or you have to pay some uh, money to close out a, a conflict in an appropriate or in legal way. So short-term pain is often part of what may be long-term success for an organization. Now, let me also say that from experience and from observation that the anticipated negative impact is often greater than what actually happens. For example, I recently dealt with a situation where the pastor said, I dread dealing with this. I've been thinking about it for weeks. I am so nervous and anxious and stressed about what's going to happen when I terminate our worship pastor. It is going to be horrible. So the anticipated negative impact was very stressful in this person's life. But the anticipated negative impact is often greater than what actually happens. In this particular case, when the supervisor met with the employee and the resolution was achieved through the termination, what actually happened was more a sigh of relief by the organization than open division. Yes, a few people were upset. But what the pastor discovered was that many people who'd been working very closely with this person were so frustrated by the dysfunction in his performance and so frustrated that the pastor was not doing anything about it that they were all about ready to quit anyway. And so when the termination took place, what really went down through the organization and through the church was more a sigh of relief that this issue had finally been addressed than the open conflict and division the pastor feared. Now, I'm using an illustration. I'm not saying it works out this way every time. But it has been my observation that oftentimes the anticipated negative impact is often really greater than the true negative impact of what actually happens when a tough decision is made in organizational supervision or personnel supervision. Now, it's been my experience that some of these kinds of changes are actually affirmed by the employees who remain. I remember the first time this ever happened to me. I had an employee that was underperforming. I knew it. I knew it for a long time. But <clears throat> I didn't want to have the conflict. I, I don't like conflict. I, I like to avoid conflict. Uh, and back then, I, I thought that having some short-term conflict was the worst possible thing that could happen in our organization. And so I put it off, put it off, put it off. But finally, there was no other alternative, and I had to make the decision to terminate an employee. What happened next shocked me. Very quietly, a couple of our senior and most significant employees in that department came to me and said, Dr. Orge, I don't want to be inappropriate or out of line here, but I just want to thank you for finally making that decision. It was really hard to work in this department when things were so dysfunctional, but my loyalty to the organization is such that I was trying to hang on and do my best. Thank you for finally dealing with the situation. I was shocked. As a younger leader, I was shocked. I had no idea that everyone else was seeing this problem even worse than I was seeing it. 
And what I've later learned is that by the time I find out about some things going on in my organization, they've been going on for a while, and a lot of other people have been seeing it for a long time and have been wondering why senior leadership won't step in and do something about the issue. So I learned that some changes, while I've been afraid to make them because I wanted to avoid the conflict that was going to come about, some of those changes were actually affirmed by employees who were finally glad that as a senior leader, I stepped up and took on the short-term pain in order to assure the long-term health of the organization. And what I've learned is that allowing negative performance to impact the mission by tolerating dysfunctional employees actually demoralizes quality employees and undercuts their performance in the organization. And so while I've been avoiding short-term conflict and the pain that comes with that, thinking I was somehow helping the organization, I've been simultaneously demoralizing high-quality employees and therefore really hurting the performance of the organization. So the short-term pain for the long-term gain of a healthy organization and flourishing quality employees is worth it if you have to go through some difficulty in the short term to assure the long-term health. Ministry supervision prioritizes organizational health over conflict avoidance. And then finally, personnel decisions in ministry organizations must be mission-driven. Decisions can't be made on the basis of relationship, finances, or comfort. They have to be made based on the mission. Now, this shouldn't surprise anyone, but I try to make mission-driven decisions in all areas of our organization, and I teach about this, and I talk about this, and I don't do it perfectly, but I try to do it well. I want mission to drive the decisions that I make about Gateway Seminary, and I, w- I, want, and I know you want to make mission-driven decisions in your church or ministry organization. Listen, decisions can't be made on the basis of relationship or finances or comfort. Now, Those things are certainly a part of decision-making, but they can't be the ultimate reason we make a personnel decision. The ultimate decision, the ultimate decision must be mission-driven. Now, this came home to me in a very stark way a few years ago. I made a mission decision. uh, I made a personnel decision that was mission-driven, and it was a very difficult one. And I was uh, held called to account on that decision in a number of different ways. I remember one particular meeting when, when someone said, are you telling me that you actually will terminate someone based on the mission of your organization more than care for them and the relationship that you have with them? And I said, yes, I, I, I will do that, and I actually did do that. Mission matters more to me than relationships or finances or even comfort We have a mission, and we have to stay focused on that. And when an employee uh, is detrimental to that mission, a a change has to be made. Now, I know this is very difficult. It's hard to hear. It's hard to say. It's really hard to do. But when you really lead your organization by the mission, whatever you've identified as your mission and how clearly you've articulated that and and how much you hold people accountable to fulfill it, You then have to follow through and make employment decisions based more on the mission than on relationships, on finances, and certainly over comfort. 
Well, here's some help to start 2021 on one of the most persistent problems we all face, and that's personnel management in ministry organizations. In these two podcasts, I've tried to take a principled approach and lay out a broad overview, or an umbrella, if you will, of how to do this more effectively. So remember, relationships are defined by a primary role, supervisor-employee, not any other thing takes the place of that in ministry organizations when employment is concerned. Ministry supervision is hard work. It requires time and structure and a commitment to process. Ministry organizations need written, clear, personnel, or supervisory policies. I'm talking about written job descriptions and work expectations and other personnel policies like vacations and sick leave and things like that. Not a hundred-page document, but certainly a few pages that spells out what's expected, what's promised, what will be done by the organization and by the employee. And then ministry organizations need healthy feedback mechanisms, as I've described in this podcast. They must prioritize organizational health over conflict avoidance, recognizing that sometimes short-term pain in an organization produces long-term gain as the organization fulfills its mission, which leads us to the final point, and that is personnel decisions must always be mission-driven. They are not driven by relationships or finances or comfort. We have to know our mission, hire people to fulfill that mission, coach them, correct them, and reward them when they fulfill the mission, and then sometimes replace them when they no longer share the same mission. Well, as you begin this year, let's do a better job of managing, supervising, working with the people God has given us to supervise. Let's focus on personnel management in ministry organizations and do that in the healthiest way possible as we lead on 